Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Scott Trelaw, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Novicient. How do I pronounce it? Novicient. Novicient. My bad. <laughs> it's a it, it's a strange name. Is there particularly some meaning to Novicient? Uh, yes. Uh, it, it means sort of Novi, which is new, and Cient, which is sort of science or knowledge. And uh, in particular, it is, you know, when you're trying to find a dot-com name, it's a surprising how many dot-com names have been picked up. So you have to get a bit creative. So that was that was our creativity. And what is the the premise behind Novicient as a as a business? So I'm an engineer. Engineers tend to want to solve problems. I worked initially in sort of investment banking, then moved to asset management. And and you know, as we we're talking to investors, there was this kind of continuous refrain around alternative investment managers and hedge funds, which is performance has been poor. The alignment of our interests is low. Transparency is low. And these all seem to be things that ought to be solvable through technology, and particularly technology enabling a a new business model. We know asset management is an industry that is a little resistant to change is quite conservative because there's sort of big pools of money involved. So it still feels to me like it's an industry operating as if we're still in the 20th century when we have all these kind of new business models and technologies and APIs and connectivity and real-time operating that occurs in other industries, but is not really occurring in asset management. So Novicient is trying to be a, a little bit at the vanguard of, you know, how do we sort of start to operate in these kind of newer platform-driven ways? We we have uh, one of our big supporters is a guy called Eric Brinjolfson. He wrote a book called... Uh, oh, The uh, Machine Platform uh, Crowd. Is that, that the Machine guy? Platform Crowd. Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. So he, he with uh, Andrew McAfee, kind of Stanford professors, and the idea is that recent technical changes... I mean, companies need to really rethink their business models and, you know, this balance between people and computers, between products and platforms, between sort of, you know, having a core team and actually working with the, uh, the broader crowd. So, you know, when we spoke to him, said this is sort of what we're doing, his his view was, well, that is, you know, that's that's pretty much exactly what I was talking about with the book, this idea of moving to more of a platform approach for asset management that allows us to engage with you know, smaller emerging dynamic managers, leveraging machine learning to select good strategies and then combining the strategies to provide great products and solutions for investors. And this idea of putting investors at the core of the process, his, you know, to, to me, it feels that the industry is about, you know, how can I grow my AUM and maximize my fee take? And the investors are a sort of resource to do that that doesn't seem to be a, a great or sustainable business model. So what we're trying to do is, is to reorient around investors using technology to get everything sort of aligned with costs lower and just better ways of operating. 
I'm trying to understand what what the premise is. You, you've got a, a platform that you create and you then crowdsource ideas. Is is that what you're doing in terms of getting uh, information from different emerging managers or individuals, for example, they've got ideas and then that becomes part of the portfolio that you run? Is that what you're doing? No, not, not quite. We're trying to really industrialize the process of sourcing excess returns. It turns out if you go to like non-professionals, hobbyists, you don't get sustainable alpha or excess returns. You really need to go to the groups that have this combination of skills, technology, a sort of product market knowledge, uh, you know, a differentiated approach. Those groups can really generate alpha. They're typically in what we would call emerging managers that are sort of younger and smaller than the giant brand name funds. Their challenge is the industry is not set up for them. The industry is currently giant pools of capital in the big endowments and institutions that find it just economically, structurally, contractually difficult to engage with these smaller emerging managers. So they end up defaulting to just sending their capital through to the, the giant brand name managers. You know, we sort of know that when the industry was really working, when hedge funds was really working 20 plus years ago, a big hedge fund would have been $500 million, quite a different sort of environment. Nowadays, a big hedge fund is, is $100 billion. And, and that seems to be a good way to maximize fees, but it, it doesn't seem that, you know, you have big pockets of alpha available if you have $100 billion. You're, you're doing something else, but you're not really doing what hedge funds ought to be doing. We do have a number of very large hedge funds. You know, are they able to capture the alpha that, that is there, or are they really just capturing some other, some type of commoditized beta that they've now captured for a low cost uh, price? Well, so no, <laughs> it's a short answer. You know, what are hedge funds? What's the really role of hedge funds? It's really got to be alpha. It's got to be some sort of excess return. And you should be paying hedge funds, and it's fair to pay hedge funds on performance. So they're, you know, the, the majority of how they should be paid should be on whether they can deliver alpha or not. And it's hard to deliver alpha. You know, in, in, in a sort of existing market industry that we kind of have today, we have... Uh, a sort of changed market structure from, from when hedge funds really used to work. We have this accumulation of giant pools of capital. We have central bank liquidity and asset purchasing, typically reducing market volatility and changing dynamics. We have this sort of shift to, to big uh, passive investing kind of groups. And really, that, I guess that passive investing was a sort of reaction to those fee structures of active managers that uh, were not delivering. But in that sort of market context, what is alpha? What is beta? Alpha Alpha are these pockets of inefficiencies. These are some predictabilities or inefficiencies where the markets are just not pricing assets well. And if you can identify and uh, exploit these pockets of inefficiencies, then you can create excess returns. And you're not really running risk for that. You're just creating excess returns. Beta and these sort of factor exposures is a whole different thing. These are risk premium where you get paid to run risk. So market risk is a kind of the, the classic and to our mind, clearly the biggest, which is if you want to have a long market exposure, you also are exposed to market shocks and crashes. And people typically find those very painful. So they want to be paid a premium. So they 
there's a sort of premium for that. There's a premium for momentum. There's a premium for, you know, various other factors. So in this case, the investor bears the risk and gets paid a premium. And that's almost a sort of fair trade. You, as the investor, you may decide which, which risks we're better at bearing or otherwise, and what is the current level of risk premium that's being paid on it. So that is a kind of a sort of investment area, this whole smart beta, beta factor space. Separately, though, is the alpha space. This is the inefficiencies space. This is the markets are not pricing things correctly. If you can find those mispricings, these pockets of inefficiencies or alpha and exploit them, you get essentially sort of free money. You get paid the premium, not because you're bearing risk, you just get paid the premium because you're smart enough to find and exploit them. And, and so this is kind of the one of the key ideas here, right? So there's this sort of simplistic view that, you know, alpha is just beta that hasn't been discovered yet, but that's not really true. Undiscovered beta is just beta that hasn't been given a name. Well, it's interesting. Beta, can I pause yeah, you there? Please. Because I think there's two parts to that. One, one way you think about alpha is the, you know, statistical inefficiencies that you can pick up and you can you can find a clear mispricing. The other one that yep. you're, you're sort of explaining around alpha being almost a type of beta, but a lot of the historical hedge funds were big macro traders and they were almost running in front of these potential trades that say the market hasn't picked it up. And so a traditional alpha beta approach probably wouldn't capture that. Um, so there's, a, there's a, almost a macro style alpha and then there's a inefficiency, price inefficiency alpha from a point in time today. How, how do you think about that as a potential breakdown of the two? Uh, I think there are big macro players, and they are sort of playing this. In, at one in one lens, you could say they're playing this risk premium game in terms of being exposed to some risk. They're trying to sort of time the risk premium or the sort of returns for for bigger and broader asset classes. These this can work if you can time factors and risk premium, you know, and big asset class and geography type moves. And presumably there are some of these groups out there that run these big macro strategies. The, the returns to macro have not been great over, again, the last decade or so. It's a kind of hard game. And it's also statistically hard to tell if they're skillful or lucky. If you're only putting on sort of less frequent trades, you have fewer data points to decide if that's skill or luck and this kind of segues into this idea of an industry being built around stories versus statistics so you know as a sort of quant shorter term alpha is is where you're capturing the inefficiencies you're converting it into dollars and you've either made money or not money not made money the global macro people are taking kind of big risks that may or may not pay off and statistically it's hard to tell if you know, when you look at the outcome, is that a skillful manager or a lucky manager? But then obviously, in this tricky space, it makes it very easy to sort of tell stories about, you know, the ones that did well tell stories about how smart they are, and the ones that didn't do well tend to sort of fade off into the background, and you kind of end up with a view that the global macro really works. I think it turns out that, you know, factor exposure and, and global macro type strategies are actually quite 
difficult. Well, there's a huge challenge with central banks, obviously, flooding markets with liquidity. We never seem to see the the true extent of capitalism pushing through at the moment. And um, we saw that particularly with COVID earlier this year in, in March, where things looked like they were going to reset for a number of different asset classes. And sure enough, there was enough support from central banks and, and treasury, particularly in the US, that helped the market. But I, I wanted to go back to one thing you were talking about in terms of some of these very large funds really making factor style bets. You know, is it possible for a $100 billion fund or even a $50 billion fund to truly find alpha in the statistical type of approach, right? That pricing inefficiency, or do they really need to be almost trying to time broader factors um, to be able to capture alpha in quotations? So I, there are, I think, two pools of alpha. One pool is pockets of alpha that where, you know, in this particular kind of, you know, commodity futures space or, you know, Japan long short equity, there are some segments that are effectively mispriced over timeframes that are attractive. And you can sort of capture that and turn it into cash pretty quickly. And that's, that's a genuinely valuable exercise. Because what are capital markets really for? They're really for how do you allocate capital and risk efficiently, right? If you have completely mispriced securities the whole time, people will be putting money into the wrong places all the time and the economy generally will do badly, right? There's a sort of some some great research about countries with strong capital markets like the US versus some European countries with weak capital markets and there's just significantly stronger growth in markets that can more efficiently allocate capital and risk. So having a hedge fund uh, activity in your your market in in the world is valuable because it just gets price and value kind of closer, and that's efficient. That's a public good generally. So that sort of inefficiencies thing. Then the question, the big question is, can you time risk premium, which I think is the you know the hundred billion dollar global macro question. Are you able to sort of allocate? bigger pools of capital, typically slower because you can't move it around day on day, to exposures that you know, end up turning in your direction rather than turning against you. In other words, can you predict, can you predict risk premium and factors and, and asset class returns? That is actually pretty hard. And we see you know, the, the, those big active managers and general active managers from that sort of SPIVA type scores from S&P, 70 to 80% of them underperform passive over a five-year period. So what it's saying is active is hard. Would I, what would I do if I, what would I do if I was a a hundred, if I was a $200 billion pension fund and I, I needed excess returns, I might look at these guys, but statistically it's hard to make the case that the big hedge funds are really delivering alpha. It's a real challenge to find alpha anywhere, right? In, in any asset class, it's not just hedge funds. Uh, I think we need to be fair to right. the whole industry that there is significant challenges. And there's also a significant challenge in the sense that because there is so much passive investment, so much systematic style investment that it actually takes away the ability of to capture alpha. The amount of passive that's in a marketplace, the amount of net sum that's available for people to try and capture is, is actually decreasing with passive. And a lot of these passive strategies and passive indices that people then choose to invest in are actually rebalancing. So they're not truly passive. Um, and you know, they're capturing market cap growth, they're capturing 
flow volume coming in. So it, it gets very, very hard, particularly in a situation where the market continues to rise. There's continual liquidity pushed in. It's hard to beat passive. So this is a hard time for everyone really to, to be able to outperform the market in quotations. It, it, we need to see a uh, a return to true volatility and, um, you know, the return to the business cycle, I think, to be able to see alpha right. to to recover. It's also a little, you know, this is industry that's kind of, uh, you know, we, you'd expect finance to be a very sort of numerate, precise industry, but it doesn't seem to operate that way. So, you know, if we, you know, for example, we'll see reports around hedge funds did well or did badly but you know what is a hedge fund a hedge fund is really anything that's less constrained than a mutual fund it could be unconstrained in terms of being able to go long short different fee structures use derivatives so you know when when as an industry we talk about hedge funds doing well or badly we're, we're already looking foolish because the you know there's no clarity about what we're actually talking about this is this stories over statistics i Dear. So if we're kind of expecting, so if we say, well, let's let's just for the sake of this this podcast, talk about uh, hedge funds as really being focused on alpha, some sort of excess return generation, either through exploiting inefficiencies or timing risk premium, then that would be valuable and that should be rewarded. But that should be compared against what? It shouldn't be compared against market exposure. I should be comparing my my market exposure strategies against market returns. I should be comparing my alpha strategies against really cash with a little bit of, of operational risk. So, so the first easy pass for an industry, we think ought to really be just decomposing returns a priori into what we should be expecting in terms of exposure to factors, what we should be expecting in terms of the sort of residual, the excess return, uh, yeah, and the sort of risk-free rate, you know, those returns can be decomposed into time value of money, risk-free rate, plus some factor exposures, plus plus the excess, right, the alpha. And so if we kind of brought that framework to bear, then we'd have much better discussions around what's creating value and what's transferring value and what's destroying value. So if we take it back to Novicient, and you mentioned about emerging managers, what is it that you're trying to do with emerging managers and I guess the ideas, you know, the, this crowd that's out there? Can you give them some context on that? Sure. So with inefficiency alpha, right, this, this mispricings of securities, these pockets of predictabilities, which is the other side of the coin that exist, that are useful for the economy generally because it makes everything more efficient and the resource allocation more efficient. These are hard to find. Where do we find them? And we've, you know, we've reviewed, you know, detailed analytics over 150 managers. Um, and what we find is this, this, the emerging managers that tend to be younger, you know, less than five years, that tend to be smaller, less than 500 million, uh, that have a differentiated approach, that have typically a, a kind of technically sophisticated group, and they have good product market knowledge. That overlap of those kind of areas seems to be where alpha comes from uh, but the challenge for the industry is those groups find it very difficult to get access to investors and vice versa the investors find it's difficult to identify which of those emerging managers are genuine alpha 
generators and which are just alpha, beta, beta, negative alpha. And even then, you know, if you're a hundred billion dollar pension fund, you'd like to allocate something material, say a billion dollars to emerging managers. They can't take maybe more than 20, 30, 40 million dollar chunks because you as the investor can't be a too big a part of their portfolio. So if you wanted to allocate a billion dollars, you might have to look at 30 to 50 emerging managers. And that, that's just not feasible. Furthermore, it takes you know up to two years for them to make a decision because they're sort of scared of making the wrong decision, this sort of false positive problem. So what we're trying to do is solve that. So in the middle between investors and uh, emerging managers, you put a platform. The emerging managers connect up through API to the platform. They send their trading strategies to us as the platform. We execute their strategies and we profit share with them, essentially on a zero, no management fee, just a straight performance fee basis. And then we can combine these signal streams to create products, solutions for investors, because investors would like to get access to a diverse and managed portfolio of these emerging managers. It just is economically non-viable. So, so if we think of a platform, a few key things happen. One is we now live in this sort of real information world, um, real-time information, where we are seeing as a platform the trades, the performance, the information, the risks, the factor exposures. The investors can also see, see that, particularly in aggregate, you know, what is what is happening to my money in real time rather than at the end of the month. We can take risk management decisions. So if something is going wrong with a particular strategy, we don't have to wait till the end of the month to say, well, that didn't go well, let's pull our money out. We can, we can stop, reduce size, adjust strategies sort of in real time. So now we kind of live in this real time, high visualization world, right? Is it fair to say this sounds almost like a, a centralized portfolio management versus what we historically saw in this marketplace, which was a hedge fund of funds, right? This is not what you are. These right. are, it's really almost a centralized portfolio management technique where you source the, or crowdsource these best ideas from a group of managers that you work with. Then you, you put it together in terms of what you think is the most efficient use of capital based on those ideas and, and maybe their history and their performance and so forth. Yes. Almost. So, so we deal with strategies. We don't look inside the individual strategies and decide we like this trade and that trade. We're deciding, do we like this strategy or not? Um, just to keep that clear. But you're right. You know, a fund of hedge funds will, or a fund of funds will take capital and allocate it out. And the individual manager is making decisions around, you know, how much cash should I be running? What sort of leverage? What are my sort of long positions and short positions? This netting problem which with a centralized platform, you can sort of solve all of those. For example, we don't want to be allocating cash to one manager who's sort of a bit worried about things. So they're sort of not using much of their cash. They're just running their strategy. And so the cash is kind of sitting there unused. Another strategy might be doing particularly well. We'd like to grow them, but we've only given them so much cash as a fund of hedge funds. Centralized portfolio management allows you to say, well, actually those, those cash leverage risk decisions, we run centrally and we can change them day on day, week on week, month on month. So there's a sort of efficiency that comes from solving a netting problem from much more efficient capital and risk kind of 
allocation centrally rather than sort of having a sort of dispersed locally. Well, you could also potentially have in the old hedge, hedge fund to fund approach, you could have had the same strategy almost three or four times across the 20 or 30 managers that are in that book. And so now you're getting a ability to have a much clearer specific part to the to the portfolio with that strategy because you know that's that's in there right exactly and we can also move between strategies so if we're in a sort of particular maybe a sort of bull type regime it may be that some of the our strategy partners do a little better and others do a little worse so we can allocate more towards the ones that are doing better if we're in a bear regime if we're in a sort of choppy regime you know often these strategies have a sort of favorite space where they want to operate. So we, we still stay diversified, but we can sort of adjust the capital and the strategy types that we want to run, depending on how it makes sense generally, but also depending on the regime. The other thing is worth mentioning is, you know, asset management has typically been a sort of product sales business. I create the product, you can either buy it or not buy it. And so I then use a lot of marketing and distribution channels and fee structures to try to push product. That's also a little old school, right? Investors uh, increasingly are saying, actually, we have a problem. We would like a solution customized to my particular problem. I have these types of exposures or these types of kind of cash flow payouts. So with a platform, you can construct customized solutions much more easily just by adjusting the allocations dynamically through time. So we can sort of help target a particular solution structure, uh, you know, a particular distribution that an investor may sort of be looking for. And by continually sort of adjusting our allocations, we can sort of make sure we're sticking to that distribution rather than uh, just selling a product. There's general big, some big themes in this industry, right? One is, is uh, this sort of connectivity and flexibility and moving towards more real-time operating, but also this you know, shift towards being able to provide customized solutions for investors, not just a, you know, here's my product, take it or leave it. Let's drill into to that. And I guess there's a number of things where I think about for your for what you're doing, if a pension fund came to you, they're ultimately would be doing due diligence on you and your organization because you're taking all the yeah. ideas in. Right. So rather than having to due diligence on 30 or 40 different emerging managers, they're doing it on your organization to actually show that you guys know how to understand the various trades that come in, how to put them together in a portfolio, how to manage risk. Right. Nicely put. And what, what is missing from that is operational due diligence on 30 different individual managers, and, and none of which really adds value. For us, we look at the managers and we say, you know, that looks an interesting strategy. There seems to be alpha. Why don't we uh, contract with you? You send us the signals. We'll pay you on performance. Are we worried about uh, you know their kind of cash flow arrangements or or anything like that? Not really. We're worried about the quality of the alpha signal. The investor has to be concerned about our infrastructure and our operating procedures. So they've got to worry about one thing, but they don't have to worry about. 30 things and we also don't have to worry about 30 things we're really you know bringing this industry sort of online in that respect so you know we reduce we can bring on a new manager you know particularly if they have a sort of track record that we can look at and say okay we, we can model that and decide okay there is alpha in that strategy we can bring them on and connect them up within a month it doesn't take us 
18 months or two years to decide to allocate capital to this new manager. And after 18 months or two years, perhaps that manager, the alpha that they had is already sort of fading away. Well, it's also interesting. You mentioned the word manager quite a lot, but technically it could be one person. It could be one person who's sending you their best idea. So what you're really doing here, if you go back to the work of machine platform crowd, is, is you're democratizing ideas. You're democratizing the ability of people to be investors. Because there is, at the start, you talked about hedge funds and the challenge of starting a hedge fund. There's huge costs around legal and compliance and risk and branding and distribution. Here it is an opportunity for someone to use their mindset uh, around markets and around their allocation to risk and to be able to send you their ideas and, and to have capital then attached to it. Right. Because, you know, we speak to managers the whole time and say, well, I figure it's going to take me a million dollars to set it up. I have to hire a team of typically five people nowadays to, to run a fund. Just regulators expect you to have operations, risk compliance, PMs, client servicing sorted. So that stops a whole lot of groups that could open up. The other one is because we're just analysing the signal stream, we're very woke in respect of we don't care who you are or what gender you are or what nationality you are or what race you are. We're just interested in the quality of, of your signals. We're not, you know, often we know, you know, oh, we're talking <laughs> with, uh, with one of the big industry groups last week and they, they did some diversity analysis and, and they said this is really kind of embarrassing we don't want to actually even talk too much about it because it is so sort of you know homogenous non-diverse you know we know we have to improve it but we don't even want to show the statistics because it's so bad for us you know we take strategies via api from from wherever so we open up in terms of two respects one is enabling smaller groups that couldn't solve the cost and economics problem but also we don't have any preference for for people we just have an interest in the signals so whoever you are if you genuinely think there's alpha then you ought to be talking to us but it's interesting you know when we when we look at uber and ebay two very successful organizations that is utilizing the community the crowd you don't really know who that other person is besides uh, some username and some avatar typically i guess uber is a little bit different but then you you transact with them you see how their performance is and you rate them it doesn't sound too different to what you're doing you're you're not really too worried about who the person is, what they look like, or, or where they've been brought up. It's just the quality of their performance, and it, it it's that quality of performance that gets them uh, access to your platform and gets access to capital, and, and therefore sharing in any profits if that they generate alpha. So the alignment is is strong. Costs are sort of stripped out. Uh, you know the incentive structure works. Interestingly, is we don't rank. We've actually taken to a certain extent. We're sort of not quite as Uber, Airbnb. Because it is difficult, you know, uh, somebody can come and say, I like that apartment or I don't like that apartment and provide a sort of, and the, the host was gracious or not. And, and then they can aggregate these pieces of information to then create rankings and recommendations and things like that. In, in finance, a little trickier, or at least in hedge funds, a little trickier because as we were talking about before, what is alpha, what is beta? Is this a skillful hedge fund that's generating alpha or not? is not quite as obvious and and if it has been will it in the future so this i this ability to sort of predict a little better than average future performance is sort of tricky so we sort of do that in-house on the platform so we're like a platform but some of the sort of allocation recommendation type functions we have to 
take in-house because the key issue for any investor is, you know, excess returns. It's not so much, did they give me good customer service, albeit perhaps we should look at that as well. It's interesting, actually, because when I think about it, there's a couple of... Uh analogies to this one is the music business there's a big label and they've got a whole series of artists and whoever's the best artist who's performing the, the best they allocate more resources to them and people have nice. their time their particular type of music is successful for a year or two then disappears and they pull resources from it sounds exactly the same to to what you're huh. really talking to yeah yeah that's a good analogy we've been looking for we've been looking for a good analogy because what we're doing is quite complicated so we sort of you know we we takes us a, a fair while to educate we're not like Oh, you're just like that. People say, oh, you're just like a fund of hedge funds. Oh, maybe you're not. You're just like a multi-strategy fund, or maybe you're not. So so analogies, and we sort of worked with Uber and Airbnb type of analogy, you know, a, a car company without cars or a, an accommodation company without properties. We're a fund manager without fund managers. But but that music label analogy is probably, probably better, right? It's hard to know, are these artists good, uh, is the music good or not? You need some internal skill sets. Well, and some, then, as you sort of say, fads change, right? Yeah, so you sometimes want to be, able to be flexible. Sometimes it's the singer. The singer's great and, and they, they mesh up with what the market's looking for. There's a fad that's there. Sometimes the singer just is not well. They fall sick or they just can't travel or, or they're just not into it. They just got depressed and they're not willing to go out. So chances are they, they probably lose their contract. That's the reality yeah. of it. And that's where big investors are worry about investing is this false positives where you you know you end up they end up spending 18 months tracking a manager they meet the management team 20 times they um, do deep operational and investment due diligence because they're sort of scared because once they've invested they're kind of stuck they can't back out quickly so they do you know it takes a long time and it's quite costly to decide to invest because you're very scared of false positives saying this is a good manager, turns out it isn't. What happens is you have a whole lot of false negatives. You pass on good managers or in the music analogy, good singing groups because, because you're so scared of getting getting it wrong in a sort of false positive sense that you miss a whole lot of opportunities in a false negative sense. In other words, by making the selection decision more systematic, but also much faster, you know, within a month rather than within 18 months and a lot cheaper, we can open up more good managers that would otherwise have been bypassed and typically are bypassed by the big managers because the big managers, the big investors get scared. So they say, well, I'm, I just don't want to make a mistake. I'm going to lose my job if I take too much risk. So, you know, Bridgewater, here's my money again. Let's uh, wrap up on a, on a question that we should, we almost started with, which is the large funds are struggling to find alpha. And, you know, I then throw the question back to you. Do you see that there's a potential natural endpoint in terms of how much you can actually manage in this type of alpha generating hedge fund world the if we stick with this idea that hedge funds ought to be about excess returns or alpha uh, in other words uh, it's a separate business to to give investors exposure typically through passive instruments to to risk premium and beta leave that off to the side excess returns the question is you know how inefficient are the markets and how good are you at, at finding and exploiting exploiting that you know and, and you, you wonder as a case study, you know, is Tesla priced well? <laughs> what is it, $650 uh, when it was priced, what was that, a tenth of that a year ago? What level of inefficiencies do exist and can you cost effectively get them? It feels that there's quite big inefficiencies. In other words, I don't think we are going to solve the problem for CalPERS 
you know, in the Australian futures fund easily because they just have giant pools of money. But endowments and family offices and high net worth individuals that are looking for excess returns and a systematic determined, you know, mechanistic way to capture them, we think we can deliver that. And we just open up this whole range of new potential sources of alpha because of the platform economics that are otherwise inaccessible. So if, our, if hedge funds are currently running three odd trillion dollars now, you know, maybe one trillion of that is the sort of smaller managers and two trillion ends up just being allocated lazily to the big managers. That's sort of a trillion dollars, but but that's just a trillion dollars based on how the industry is currently set up. Maybe that should be two trillion dollars or five trillion dollars. In other words, the, you know, the question is, you know, how much inefficiency is available and can be exploited in the markets? And we think it's fairly big. So we don't think size is the problem. I don't, as I say, I don't think we're going to solve Calpers' problem, but I think we can help a whole lot of sort of smaller uh, investors, endowment funds, smaller pension funds address some of the sort of alpha sourcing issues. Well, that's a fantastic place to leave it. Thank you very much for your time today, Scott. Alex, it was a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to talk with you. I enjoyed the chat. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.